So this week in comic book news, Thor Odinson asks a question we all have. Who the hell are those guys? I'm Desiree. And I'm Marco. And this is Variant Cover Comics, your comic book pop culture podcast. Ta-da! <laughs> we, we did it. Uh, so technically we have like a, a zero episode right now. Episode zero. An yeah. episode zero. Um, but this is episode one, and... Uh, in case you haven't listened to episode zero at all, that's fine. We'll just quickly reintroduce ourselves. Yes. Um, we are two girls who want to, two ladies who want to talk about pot, uh, women. Uh, what the century? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, we're two, we're two women who want to talk about comic books and pop culture and nerd things. You're, um, you're a nerd? Uh, oh my God. Am I? <gasps> I think you are. I'm a fake geek girl. You are. What is a fake versus a real geek girl, anyway? The difference is whether or not a man decides you're good enough. Well, I'm a lesbian, so who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and that's also going to be part of our perspective. Uh, we're going to be talking about sexuality and race and gender. Um, Margot's a lesbian. I'm a Mexican Jewish bisexual woman, and it's just going to be lots and lots of fun. Yeah. Um other than that, we are not really qualified, and I don't believe in comic book qualifications right? of any sort. Like, I technically who arbitrates that. Nobody. We do. We we like comics. We buy comics. Therefore, we know what the hell we're talking about, or we don't know what the hell we're talking about, and that's way more fun. Exactly. Like you know, we're not gonna just we're, we're just gonna kind of wing it and learn as we go and talk about our experiences. And I, I think that's actually uh, our goal is. We don't know everything, and we think part of the reason why comic books in general are so hard for a lot of people to get into is because you feel like you have to know a lot of things, and you have to start at, like, a base level of knowledge that's no. way too high. We're mm -hmm. going to be, like, bottom of the barrel, like, you don't know shit. That's okay, though, because it's more fun when you just kind of dive head in, and you figure out what you like, and you figure out what you don't like, and you find friends who will listen when you rant about it. Exactly. Um, it's like that XKCD comic where, uh, I don't even know what it is, but they're, they're talking about like, oh, you haven't seen this movie? Let me show you. Yes. It's like you get to bring someone you into the, the world. <laughs> yeah, sorry. you get to bring someone into the magic of things you enjoy as opposed to being a shitty asshole about it, which yeah. is, our, our goal is to be the, not the Aladdin of this. The not gatekeepers. The not the gatekeepers. Gate openers. Sure. Sure. Or yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so basically our, our format tentatively is that we're going to talk about like this week in comic book news and pop culture news, and then we're going to move into talking about some actual comic books, um, whether they be a graphic novel or a trade paperback, which is a graphic novel several comic book issues collected into one book that you can buy at, like, your Barnes & Noble or something. That's what they're selling, really. Um, or single issues that have just come out recently mm -hmm. or other things that uh, might be of interest, like web comics, I think, yes. would be really what we're interested in, too. Mm -hmm. um, All mediums are awesome. There's so many different ways that people have found to share their stories and their art but it seems dingy just to stick to one. Or to just stick to the quote-unquote big two, which is yeah. Marvel and DC Comics. No, I, I think I think both of us are very much, we prefer the indie a little bit more. But then yeah. again, at the same time, we still love the, some of the icons as well. 
Oh, for sure. And I, I think uh, someday we'll also have to have a conversation about whether or not Image is really still an indie comic publisher. Yeah. <laughs> Versus just kind of not the big two. It's like the, the really popular runner-up. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so we're going to start you off with some news of the week. Okay. Um, and that was what I was referencing when I opened this, is that the new uh, Avengers Infinity War trailer came out. Have you seen it? Shit, I forgot to watch it. Ha! My, no, I went and got comic books this week, and that was the first thing the guy asked me, is, have you watched it yet? And I was like, shit, it came out today. I need to watch it before I go to work. And then I drove to work, and instead of sitting in my car and watching it, I just kind of went inside and started work early, because we're overtime eligible and gotta get that money, money. So, no, I have not. Do you want to briefly pause so I can watch it and we can uh, discuss it quickly? Uh, Yeah, we can briefly pause. Okay. Go ahead. All right. How do I do this? And we're back. Okay, so you you watched the trailer. I did watch the trailer. Um, very. I cool. have a lot of feelings. Okay, what are your feelings? My feelings are is holy shit. There's a lot of people in this movie. <laughs> One of the favorite things that I saw in response to this was that honestly, we need to just come to terms with ourselves and realize that the only way to deal with this many characters in a single movie is to make it a musical. (gasps) And then someone else was like, this needs to be filmed by Bollywood directors. That's the only way they can coordinate that, that well all at once. And I'm like, yeah, I would watch it. Uh, except let's just make sure it's not directed by Joss Whedon. (laughs) Well, no, a Bollywood director, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, since we're touching on musicals, just, just get that out. Yeah, uh, Avengers Infinity War, the Bollywood musical, is something that I would go see. However, mm. I haven't seen, like, half of the, like, Marvel films that are out I now. I really lost track. I think after, well, after we watched the first Guardians of the Galaxy while we were moving cross-country, I think that's the last time I was really up-to-date. And that was three-something years ago. Uh, I've, I feel like, okay, so I haven't seen... Um, Age of Ultron. I haven't yeah. seen Ant Man. I haven't seen Doctor Strange. I only yesterday finally watched Captain America: Civil War. Oh, okay. When did you When did you watch that? Before like, you got home. Oh, okay. Is it on Netflix or something? Yeah, it's on okay. Netflix. Okay. Here's That's the thing. Where I watched it on Netflix. Captain America: Like Civil War is the only. I think it's like that one in the first one, and nothing else is like up. Like you can't watch Captain America: Winter Soldier. That's stupid. On Netflix. I don't understand. You can't, like, I... That's a good one. I know. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay, here's the thing. Like, I was watching Civil War, and I was just like, this whole thing is, uh, kind of not interesting, because they don't take the one thing that would make this very interesting and expand on it, which is, frankly, that the entire storyline of Captain America and Bucky, the Winter Soldier, is pretty gay. And the fact that you can't, like, just... Just go for it, guys, because that's really the only interesting thing about this. If they're mm-hmm. if you're having this big quote unquote civil war about whether or not to like sign up the Avengers for this government thing with uh-huh. the UN, like it's really all centered around Bucky, yeah, to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the rest of it just doesn't feel very compelling. Yeah, and maybe that's because I, th- I haven't watched any of Age of Ultron. Maybe, but also I kind of refuse to just because they. They took characters who were, like, Jewish and made them evil and 
And you don't care for that. No, I, I really don't. Like, it just, I don't know. It just, <laughs> anyway, uh, the Avengers Affinity War trailer I felt was kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, it's, it feel like there was a lot of moving pieces. Uh, only about maybe a third of them I'm actually interested in their individual narratives. And I feel like just from what I'm seeing, it's definitely going to be more about the action. It's going to be very plot-driven, and I think I'm more interested in character like arc driven things in general, yeah, is is part of my thing. I, I think it'll be a fun uh, blockbuster, uh, and also did maybe. You, maybe but yeah, go, did I what? Um, is it just me or did it, did they kind of fix that color thing where you know it was really bland? I did notice. I feel like the colors were a little bit more vibrant than I'm used to seeing. Except for Thanos. Yeah, that's true. He looks... He went from, like, being this really rich, deep purple color guy, alien dude, to, like, Joss Whedon with a bad sunburn. That's what he looks like, though. Like, really, I I can't stop. Like, everyone's just like, he looks like Homer Simpson, but purple. Or he looks like (laughs) Joss Whedon with a sunburn. Or And it's just bad. He just looks ugly. The design really went downhill in that respect. I can see there's a lot of nice colors in the other stuff, but... Yeah. That, that, it just, oh man, the whole thing, I'm just kind of like, I really, like, I care about Thor Ragnarok, and I care about the Black Panther. Yeah. Literally everything else can just... I'm like middling on how much I care about Captain America. I think I would, I'll sit down, I don't know if I'll go to the the theater, but I'll definitely sit down and make a point to watch it when it comes out, which I have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um... Well, that's, the th- that's what made me so angry about watching Civil War. Yeah. Is it was not a Captain America film. It was, a, it was an ensemble film. It was an Avengers film, and they yeah. called it Captain America Civil War when it was Avengers Civil War. Yeah. Which is like, what the fuck is the point of that? I just don't understand. It's just a strange handling of the phases and what they decided to do when. Look, and I, here's the thing. I don't consider myself like a super-duper fangirl of like... The Marvel Cinematic Universe? No, I just mean, like, of, of Steve and Bucky. Like, I clearly think they're more quote-unquote canon than, like, anyone who ships Steve and Tony, because I hate Tony's guts, but that's a me problem, I'm I'm sure. Um, yeah, See, I, I'm generally positive about Tony. I don't have any strong feelings. He, he finally got, like, he got, like, a character arc, and he started to be a better person or yeah. whatever, and I just still kind of hate him. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a personal, it's a personal thing. It's not, it's not that he didn't have an arc or that the Iron mm-hmm. Man movies weren't good, because they were. Yeah. Um, I... The whole setup of Captain America, especially the first film, is very, like I said, gay. And it's it's a romance film, right? Like, he's, <laughs> he's there with his, like, sweetheart in the military being shipped out. And he's like, yeah. oh, I wish I could go with you. Like, yeah. the whole thing, their whole arc is, like, how much they care about each other. And, frankly, they downplay it so much. And then, like, in Civil War, they threw in, like, Peggy's... Uh, oh, niece yeah. or something? Niece? Yeah, yeah niece her niece, Sh- Sharon? Sharon, Sharon, Sharon Carter. Yes, as Cap's beard, and I'm just like, I don't understand. Like, they, there's <laughs> no reason for because, this. Um, oh God, what is the actress's name? I, I know I like her because I remember her when she was on Everwood, and I was really excited to see her in different things. But now I cannot remember. But I had a crush on the actress a long time ago. Yeah. Um. I'm yeah, yeah. You you can look that up. Um. But yeah, basically, my my sentiments are basically that of Thor's, which is who the hell Emily are Van all those? Camp. Who? Emily Van Camp. Oh, okay. Um, 
my my sentiment is that of Thor, which is who the hell are all those people? Because yeah. I didn't watch Guardians of the Galaxy two. I didn't really care that much for Guardians of the Galaxy in the first place. I would watch the second one. I think I, I, I enjoy the the beat of it. It's funny. Okay, yeah. I just didn't feel like compe- I don't feel I don't compelled. compelled. I don't care. No. Yeah. It's like There's, I could take it or leave it. I could take it or leave it. There's no... It's just like, who watches Ant-Man? I don't know. Completionists? I guess. But you're a completionist and you haven't seen it. Well, I'm not a completionist about Avengers or Marvel or... Okay. Yeah. So, anyway. No. Um, so, next bit of news... <laughs> Now moving that we're forward. <laughs> moving forwards, because there's only so much ranting about Marvel you can do, and we've got more to do, trust me. Okay, so <laughs> what else is in the news? The latest is that Disney has casted their Mulan for their live-action film, and okay. it's a Chinese actress, Liu Yifei. Okay. Um, has she been in anything before? Yes, she's been in Once Upon a Time, I think, okay. if the IMBD is correct, and she's also been in... Um, Was she the Mulan in? No, no. Okay. That was a lady who had previously been in oh. some sort of reality TV show that I don't oh, remember. What's her name? I, You're going to look that up, too. Um, <laughs> she was in Ip Man 3, um, okay. and she was also in The Forbidden Kingdom. Okay, Jamie Chung was the other one I was thinking Yeah, Jamie about. Chung was the, the actress that. for Mulan and Once Upon a Time. Yeah, okay. Liu Yifei is going to be the live-action Mulan star. Okay. Um... Here's my problem. Okay. I am hyped for Liu Yifei. Okay. Um, Super pumped. Really excited. Mm -hmm. uh, Good casting call. However, Disney has said that there will be no songs in Mulan. What? But... But... They have such good songs. The songs are the whole reason why Mulan's worked. I'll make man out of you. It's so... It's so infuriating because here's the thing. If you want to watch Mulan without any songs, it already exists. Right. Like, okay. It's so a two thousand. No, hold up. It's a two thousand and nine Mulan film produced in China, and it will make you very, very angry at the end if you like get invested in it because you, there's just so many feelings, and it's such a good movie. And I nearly threw my computer against the wall when I first watched it. Um, but it's good, and you can find it online. Like if you're searching around for it, and. It's got English subtitling if you don't understand Chinese very well or at all. Uh, great <laughs> at all. film, mm-hmm. but it's already been done. And it's, it's already like- been done and better, and in China. And it's like you're trying to remake the Disney version of Mulan. Put the goddamn songs in the movie. That's what I want. I don't care if you have to hire someone else to sing the songs. Mm-hmm. I do not care. No, I, I feel like so much of what is deeply loved about Mulan, the Disney film, is definitely, definitely the music because that's the most memorable, memorable, memorable. memorable? Thank you. That was sure butchering of the word. Um, yeah, it's just it's the iconic part of Mulan because you know the reflection song. I'll make a man of you. Like I've said, like already half a dozen times. Uh, everything like you gotta have the music and honor to us all yeah honor to us all oh my god like and look there's a lot of criticisms that you can make about like cultural like appropriateness and whether or not that actually accurately reflected china in that point of time and mm -hmm. and so on and so forth and i could definitely make them because i i study china and china's (laughs) my like academic area focus but uh 
I want the goddamn songs. No. I feel like Disney's live action films are taking away the things that I enjoyed about the original films. Like with And just making them live action like films as opposed to the iconic re- Well, I mean, that's I think part of the problem anyway where they're just redoing the same stories like and they're not that they're old. Not, they're not know? they're not that old. They're not putting in any they're not really genuinely giving anything new to any of them. Like, no. the live-action Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson is terrible. Yeah. Let's just be I, honest. It's completely awful because it's basically shot for shot a remake of the Beauty and the Beast with uh, some differences of, like, actual people playing the parts and um, maybe, like, one or two better things. Like, I think Gaston was much more fun in yeah in the film yeah the live was action more, it was more of a like slow burn this is an asshole yeah and, and, and it was Which it was interesting. compelling and fun and good but i think when your villain is the best part of your live action <laughs> and like you need to go back to casting you, no it's not just it's not just you need to go back to casting you need to go back to plotting because i've yeah. seen the beauty and I, I used to work at a theater i've seen the beauty and the beast musical uh, you know, yeah. off Broadway, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen it more than once because I was working those shows. Right? Really? I was, yeah. Uh, Tell me I was, your thoughts on the Lion King. <laughs> we're not going to talk about the Lion King. I've seen it like twenty-eight times, the musical, and I just can't anymore. I'm sorry, it's a great yeah. musical. So then, yeah, mama. Okay. Um. Anyway, uh, I can't say there. Me neither. It's okay. Uh. Anyway, I I just I've seen the Beauty and the Beast musical and. If your live action film is not more compelling than your musical, when it's like live, it, you've got a problem. And when your animated film is more compelling than your live action, you've got a problem. And when the live action is not compelling for its own unique reason, you've got a problem. Yeah. Um, setting aside the fact that Emma Watson's not really well cast in this spot or position, there's also the fact that. Um, yeah, I just turned up the volume on our headphones because you were making my ears hurt oh okay that's all it's fine it's still working okay um i'm so sorry i was like pausing like what the hell just happened to that i microphone? turned you down wow that's so rude <laughs> um and then for god's sakes please never hire emma watson to do anything where she has control of the costume design because she is literally the worst costume designer on the planet yeah and the actual costume designer i feel very sorry for because yeah. everything else on the film everything else on the film is gorgeous costume except the dress. bell dress which is the most important part yeah like that's what i mean it's like i feel song. like they're taking away the things that brought us genuine joy and enjoyment it's from like, the original. Yeah, it's like they're they're redoing these movies for the purposes of let's be honest, making more money. But they're not really actually embracing the spirit of these films and what was originally so endearing about what they're remaking. Yeah, and that's just leads to bland remakes. And no thanks. I'll go back and I uh, will just rewatch the animated versions. Bye. I mean, I'm gonna watch the new Mulan. Yeah, well, once. Yeah. I feel like I haven't seen any of the other Disney, like, live actions in theaters. I might want to see Mulan in theaters. Okay. Because I deeply care about... Like, Mulan was by far and above one of my favorite princesses. Like, to the extent where, like, I would be willing... Like, I loved Belle. More Mm -hmm. than anything, I loved Belle. But I could tell it was going to be a hot mess. Yeah. So I didn't go see it. You know what I mean? Um, Anyway... Next yeah. piece of news. Woohoo! Uh, 
Aaron Ehas, the head writer of Avatar The Last Airbender, has started a new production company called Wonderstorm that that is producing a new original Mm -hmm. animated series for Netflix in conjunction with a AAA video game, um... Well, triple A video game in the same universe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unrelated to the Avatar universe. No kidding. He's being joined by Giancarlo Volpe. Okay. I think that's how you say his name, right? I think so, Giancarlo Volpe. You just said it differently, so I? I don't even know what you're. Okay. Uh, I don't it's know. Giancarlo Volpe. or Giancarlo or? Oh yeah, Giancarlo probably. Maybe. Let's just Look, guy, I'm really sorry <laughs> because you're amazing, and I don't think I've heard someone say your name out loud. But uh, he was also on the Green Lantern TV show, yes, animated series. Which is fun. Um, he was on Avatar: The Last Airbender. He's done a few other really amazing things. And Aaron E. has is my homeboy, and I, I think he's good. Okay, he's good cool. people. Good. Well, I, I don't know much. Like I don't think there are many details yet about the the series that they're actually producing. Right. All I saw was some concept art that involved dragons, and I'm blown. Yeah, we've been recently going through like a renewal and revival of our Anne McCaffrey like Dragon Riders oh of Burn adoration, which is so fun because because it, it, it's our like problematic elementary school fave. Yeah, which is who cool. let us read those in elementary school? And who put them <laughs> in elementary school libraries? Just want to know. I don't know if I actually got that from the library. I think it was bought for me. And it I, was in my elementary school library. Yeah, I know. I mean, my mom had them on her bookshelf. That's where I started. But they were in my elementary school library I, I love, on the shelves. Anyway, all that to say is that I deeply adore these books and I don't care. Okay. Um, next order of news is Kerry Washington and Rashida Jones team up for a Goldie Vance movie adaption. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Goldie Vance, but I think I have at least an issue or two on our shelves. Goldie Vance is sort of like a, uh, detective Mm -hmm. series. I would kind of call it like a, a young black Nancy Drew. Okay. Um, she's yep. the hotel detective who solves any problems that come up at this hotel that she works at. Mm-hmm. It's super adorable. Very cute. Kind of gay. Really love it. Um, I actually ended up, when I did work briefly at a comic book shop, I did recommend it to a lot of kids because it's like sort of like a G-rated but very adorable. And who doesn't love like little... Oh, that's our cat. Hi, Clady. Jingling her bell. <laughs> Um, who doesn't love that? But uh, basically, uh, Carrie Washington is producing it, and Rashida Jones is writing and directing 20th Century Fox's Goldie Vance, which the studio just acquired the rights for. So Sweet. that was very exciting, and that's my news. Awesome. Um, go, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just okay. Well, that's great news, and let's shift into the comics segment. No, one one last thing. One last thing. One last thing. Oh, um, man, this is so good. Okay, what? so... Remember when I said that we were going to rant a little bit more about Marvel before we were done? Oh, God, what did they do now? What did they not do? So, uh, then... I'm going to read this. This is from BleedingCool.com. New Marvel Comics editor-in-chief C.B. Cebulski admits he wrote as Akira Yoshida 13 years ago. Mm. Um... This is posted by Rich Johnson, um, Mm -hmm. November 28th. Akira Yoshida was the name of a comic book writer who worked for Dreamwave, Dark Horse, and Marvel Comics 13 years ago. He was a Japanese writer who in interviews told us he worked for manga publishers, went to U.S. comic conventions, befriended the likes of Pat Lee, and started working in American comics as a result. 
He would eventually write a series of high-profile Marvel miniseries, 12 issues of Thor, Son of Asgard, 6 issues of X-Men, Age of Apocalypse, 5 of Elektra, The Hand, 5 of Wolverine, Soul Taker, 5 of X-Men, Kitty Pride, Shadow and Flame, 5 of X-Men slash Fantastic Four, and a bunch of one-shots before suddenly stopping. Um, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit... Let's see. Okay. I did, I, I, I'm just sitting here kind of shaking my head. This doesn't... Mm-mm. So basically, uh, there was some speculation a while ago that this Akira Yoshida guy was a pen name of sorts, or he didn't really exist, and mm-hmm. basically a couple people at Marvel were like, no, no, we've totally met him. Turns out the Japanese guy they actually met was some other like translator. They just <laughs> didn't know his real name, oh. and they assumed that was him, okay. right? So first off, there's that level of racism, but then there's the fact that the current editor-in-chief at Marvel right now, who recently got the job, uh-huh. is like... By the way, I started off in yellow face. Um, (sighs) Well, I mean... So, okay. Okay, that's... Oh, man. Like, is there a, I'm sorry in there? Or is it just like a... Oh, no. Yeah, I did this, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, This week, as Sobolski was flying in from China to take up the position of editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics, Image Comics brand manager David Brothers tweeted out a challenge to comics journalists ask why Marvel Comics knew... EIC chose to use the pen name Akira Yoshida in the early 2000s to write a bunch of Japanese books for them. First off, Image Comics burn! Like, what a throwdown. Yeah. Can you believe? Like, that is some petty bullshit, and honestly, Marvel deserves it. I mean, I... I'm just kind of, I'm laughing because, I mean, early 2000s, that's really when manga was huge. That's when it was really taking off, and so he just kind of he, oh, he capitalized, capitalized on it. On he was it. a yeah. weeaboo who basically decided to <laughs> fetishize Japanese people and pretend to actually be one. That's uh. that's the long and short of it. This article continues. That lit a social media fire. While no more evidence was presented, it was enough for people to look back at Akira Yoshida's work and find plenty of other problems. It may not have been as much of an issue at the time, but Akira Yoshida, presented as a Japanese writer, wrote about Japan and created Japanese characters, locations, and themes that if it had been Sibulski would have been problematic. That comes with allegations of appropriation, yellowface, and playing up an authenticity that wasn't there. He was hired by some to provide an authentic Japanese voice, and as much of a massive fan of Japanese culture as Sibulski was, with family in Japan and living in Japan on and off since he was 20 years old, and who began his professional comics life editing manga, he just wasn't that. Um, I started pressing again, and this time the whole thing came crashing down, because it seems that Marvel had worked it out themselves back when I ran the podcast story. Sobolski confessed to Marvel execs what he had done. He could have been fired, but he pled his case internally to the highest authority at the company. The story was that back then, he had been planning to leave Marvel, but set up a writing career first, and Akira Yoshida was a fiction he created to get this first writing gig on Darkstalkers for Dreamwave, and then Conan for Dark Horse. And it was... From that gig that his fictional pseudonym was approached by another Marvel editor, quite unaware that Sobolski was Akira, and Sobolski found himself hired by his own company, and kept the lie going. That's such a bad, like, conflict of interest. Like, all all that I'm hearing is, I I wouldn't understand ethics if I got hit in the face with, you know, multiple textbooks of it, or... Man, I'm not articulate today. I'm sorry. (laughs) Eventually, Sibulski killed Akira off, resigned his position from Marvel, and was rehired as a talent manager with a new contract that allowed him to write on a freelance basis under his own name. This is bad. This is just cringy. Um, Writing Marvel titles as well as creator-owned works for Image Comics, but if he admitted the truth about Yoshida, he knows that he would have 
killed his Marvel career dead, and so the lie stayed, even as Yoshida disappeared. Can you believe? Okay, so, uh, C.B. Sapolsky's statement is, quote, I stopped writing under the pseudonym Akira Yoshida after about a year. It wasn't transparent, but it taught me a lot about writing, communication, and pressure. I was young and naive and had a lot to learn back then, but this is all old news that has been dealt with, and now as Marvel's new editor-in-chief, I'm turning a new page, and I'm excited to start sharing all my Marvel experiences with up-and-coming talent around the globe. End quote. Hey, do you notice how there was not a single goddamn apology in that statement? Yeah, I mean, that I could see that non-apology coming from the beginning of the article. Can you believe, oh, this is the same company that decided to make Captain America a member of HYDRA? Mm. By, like, brain that. bullshit. Like, it honestly, it doesn't really matter the reasoning why. It's just bad writing. Yeah. Um, bad frankly, writing, bad motives. Just... Burn Marvel comics to the ground. Salt the earth. So, okay, okay. Let, let's sidebar. Let's let's remove Star Wars comics from, from Marvel and then burn the rest. Because, sorry, I really love the Star Wars comics. Yeah, see, that's the problem, is that now that Marvel owns Star Wars and Disney owns Marvel, I have to deal with the fact that I want to continue buying Star Wars bullshit, but I'm still technically, like, supporting quote-unquote Marvel comics as I'm doing so, because otherwise... Consumption under capitalism? There's no ethical consumption under capitalism, (gasps) thank you. Usually that's bad. You're trying too hard. I am. I'm tired. Oh, no. Anyway. Okay. Well, that was depressing, so let's just move on to comic books and things that we've read. Yeah. Because that's just... It it is what it is. Um, I definitely recommend you guys look into actual Asian comic book writers and authors and artists, and uh, we'll definitely cover some upcoming... Well, hey, you have a manga. I do. You read this week, but I did not. Let's... Let's be fair. I feel like it's more difficult for Asian Americans to break into American comics than it is for Japanese people to break into Japanese comics, if that yeah, makes sense. Obviously, yes. That, that is very true. Um, <laughs> yes. Diversity in comics is a complicated issue. Moving on. So, uh, this week, the uh, graphic novel that I chose is a manga called Delicious in Dungeon by Ryoko Kui. Kui? Let me see. I'm I'm blanking. I know Chinese, and I I've learned some Japanese. Kui Kui. is correct according to okay pronunciation. Man, I sometimes accidentally start reading things in the wrong language pronunciation, (laughs) which is bad. Yeah, because you've studied a lot of Mandarin. I studied a fair bit of Japanese back in the day, but I've mostly lost it. But I at least know how to pronounce the things. Unlike French, where I could understand a lot of French, but I can't... No one understands French. It's fine. No, I can't pronounce French, is what I should say. So, um... I can read it. Originally, when I picked this up, I thought the title was Delicious Dungeon, which I think would make more sense. It's actually Delicious in Dungeon, Mm. which uh, I blame the translators on. It's not very... It's not a great translation. It doesn't have the same ring to it. Um, here's the summary on the back. It's eat or be eaten. Literally. When young adventurer Laos and his company are attacked and soundly thrashed by a dragon deep in a dungeon, the party loses all its money and provisions. And a member. They're eager to go back and save her, but there is just one problem. If they set out with no food or coin to speak of, they're sure to starve on the way. But Laos comes up with a brilliant idea. Let's eat the monsters. Slimes, basilisks, and even dragons. None are safe from the appetites of these dungeon-crawling gourmands. Um, and the back has some really cute 
little illustrations of the little monsters that they're going to be eating, like green slime, a huge scorpion, mandrake, basilisk, walking mushrooms, man-eating plants, living armor. It's pretty adorable. Yeah. The art is really, really cute. I'm definitely going to try and read this because I didn't get the chance to finish it. You didn't finish it over Thanksgiving like you were supposed to because you left it at home. Yeah, I forgot it at home while I went to travel. And honestly, I wouldn't have had time anyway, the way I was running around busy. But it looks adorable. It's got cute art, which for me is... Like, a huge bonus, because I'm a really huge dick about what the art looks like. (laughs) But, um... You say as if I'm not an art historian who's (laughs) an even bigger dick about art. (laughs) So, so much of a dick that the dicks just start growing on trees. Yep. Yep. That's Uh, that's a reference to actual medieval manuscripts that have penises on trees. Yes. And, like, little nuns picking the penises off the trees. Um, Art, man. Art, man. It's been real. It's been wild. Anyway, uh, basically, it's cute. I don't have a ton to say about it because I feel like it's a pretty simple plot that's covered by the summary Mm -hmm. in that they are broke adventurers who need to go back into this big dungeon and save um, Laos' sister who got eaten um, before she's digested. Wow. So like a sidelack? I was going to say she got bored, okay. but, uh, yeah, like a yeah. starlight. <laughs> I'm just like, isn't she going to, like, dehydrate and die in the stomach as she's being digested? Or um, was she not chewed? Um, no, they, they talk about that a little bit. Okay. They talk about how long it takes to digest that, and, that's and all wild. that goodness. Anyway, all that to say, um, wow. I was, I was going to say, um, actually, I really, I think it's adorable. I would probably, like, it, it seems, it's pretty clean. I think you could, it's rated teen, but I think you could get away with at least giving the first book to, like, a preteen as well. Mm-hmm. Like, at least 10 and up is probably fine. There's nothing really scary or, I mean, there is some scary stuff, but it's not anything a kid couldn't handle. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, I really liked it. I almost feel like it would be way more fun as a computer game. Like that one that, what's that one that you play? The- Darkest Dungeon? Yeah. Except, yeah. Except more, like foodie instead of like creepy well uh, instead of more murder death yeah like um yeah i I would say so um basically the the plot of this like game is that not game the plot the plot of the manga that i want to turn into a game is that they uh are completely broke and they decide let's just start eating the things inside the dungeon to survive and i think that's really great and really fun and i think it would be amazing as like a a sort of loose RPG. Yeah. Um, it makes me a little sad that Nick on Cool Games Inc. turned out to be a total creeper because uh, if you'd been listening to that podcast, I think this would have been a really great thing that they could have been pitched and say, like, hey, instead of, like, just fighting monsters, you have to fight the right monsters to learn to cook, to feed yourself, like, gourmet style in the dungeon. I think yeah. they would have really run away and been happy with that. Cool. Um, that was my ultimate feeling on the thing. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, we also have some uh, issues, single issues issues that we we, uh, ended up reading recently. Uh, We got two number ones and then a one-two set. So uh, I'll just kind of break into it with uh, the summary. Uh, One of the ones that we read was Dark Fang, which is a new image comic. Um, I will read the summary briefly. So Earth Calling Part 1. Her name is Vala. In life, she was a fisherwoman. In death, she is a vampire residing peacefully on the bottom of the ocean. 
When a mysterious dark plague descends on, upon her aquatic paradise, she must venture to the surface in search of answers. And what she finds is a world headed towards an environmental collapse that will eventually wipe out her food supply. If Alice is to continue to have the blood she needs to survive, then she must stop the fossil fuel industries from destroying the planet, no matter the cost. So... I kind of just grabbed this one because I it like a vampire. vampire. Like, literally, it's like, yes, Lady Vampire. And I was not expecting the, like, environmental activism punch to the face. I wasn't expecting the, like, sex worker issue to come up. That was, like, from the start. Like, she starts out, like, she gets she out of the ocean. She starts off as a cam girl. Yeah, she's like, I'm gonna go and, like eat somebody and oh wait this guy is like chatting the cam girl i'm gonna go figure out how to become one so i can make money and it was unexpected and weird um here's the thing right like i feel like i have seen actual sex workers talking about the fact that a lot of people have this misconception that it's super easy to get into like cam work or Mm -hmm. to be a sex worker and that you can just quickly make money uh, real fast and it'll all be good. That's not true. No. It's a lot of hard work. It's not necessarily all fun and games. It can no. be very dangerous. Society can really screw you over when you yeah. do it. Um, I understand how a vampire in the with context the, of a fantasy who has thrall would be like, fuck yeah, I can do that. I yeah. have magic. If you have magical thrall, yeah, and, and like, uh, someone you decapitated, like, doing all your video editing for you. Yeah, <laughs> then I think you're good, right? Um, so I'm not really sure, like, how to feel about that. I feel like I would love to hear from actual sex workers talk about whether or not they felt that was even appropriate to, like, throw in. Mm. But I get why they chose it. Yeah, it, it's very, I don't know, the, the whole thing. It feels thing, like a very, like, oh, what's a good way to, like, make her a millennial now? Or, yeah. I don't like, know. What's a, what's a fast cash? or I don't know. It just felt very gimmicky to me as yeah, a whole. Yeah, it felt gimmicky. Um, like, the whole, the There's vampire a- lives in the ocean was weird. I loved that. That made to- to- that made total sense, right? Yeah, because out of the sunlight, endless food supply. Yeah, yeah. She's underwater. She she's you know there's never any sunlight. She lives like in the abyssal zone, mm-hmm. and it's great. Um, oh, and she was converted for Cinderella reasons from you know being a human to a vampire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She she was like eaten to be made a slave of sorts, um, and then she killed everybody. I mean, it's basically a, a mirror of, like, Dracula, in that she's talking yeah. about the other brides, and the and how much she hates them, and mm-hmm. I also was kind of like, eh, I mean, listen, I get you hate the other women, but... Yeah. I don't know, man, there was a lot of, and she had that, like, Carrie vibe in the one scene where she just, like, oh, yeah. drenched in blood. She is, yeah. That was, I think pretty, that was great. pretty cool. That was, like, my favorite bit. I was like, oh, that's a good look. You say that you didn't realize the environmentalism thing would be coming at us like that. However, the more longer I stare at the cover, the more I realize she's biting into a, a globe. A globe that has, like, black ink spilling out. It's of oil, oil, you goober. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, next one. Yeah, next one is... Uh, we also read issues one and two of the Tuskegee Airs. That's um, H-E-I-R-S. Airs. 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 It's airs. I know. I'm saying it so that people understand. Yes, yes. 
Uh, the Tuskegee Airs is a futuristic sci-fi adventure that follows a squadron of young, gifted aviators who are forced to become Earth's last line of defense against a menacing race of artificially intelligent villains bent on destroying civilization. What were your thoughts on this? Um, so we picked this up at Amalgam Comics, which mm-hmm. is uh, the nation's first black woman-owned comic book shop in the in country. Philly. Mm-hmm. In Philly. And it's an amazing comic book shop. You should yeah. always go there. Apparently this series was kickstarted. Yeah, it was kickstarted. Um, I just wanted to, like, plug Amalgam Comics just because I love it so much and I'm yeah. so happy it exists. I know, it's like a coffee shop and comic shop. All in one, and it's beautiful and amazing, and I love it. Yeah, I will go there forever. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about this comic, these two comics. Okay. I had, like, mixed feelings, so I think maybe you should tell me what you wrote down, because I know you took notes. I mean, I kind of just kind of took notes on what was going on. Um, the, The comic set in the future, you know, 2096, where, um... I guess flying, you know, man-flown planes has basically been rendered banned. obsolete and banned. Um, it, it was really, it was really dense to get through. Like what I noticed is like there was way too much text. Text. That was my like. I had so that written down. Text. There was so much text that I feel like I spent three times as long on each issue as I would on a normal issue. By by any other publisher, yeah. Um, it, it, I feel like it really needed to be edited down, and more things need to be revealed as time goes by instead of like crammed into so much. So much is crammed into one issue. I, I feel like, and here's the thing: we read two issues of this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a big part of why I had super mixed feelings. Yeah, um, is that I liked the art a lot. I think the art's yes. fantastic. Yes, I love for the, the most art part. Too. Um, I even like the characters a lot. Like, yeah, I love, I love the, the characters. Um, I gotta ask you, what they, did you have any feelings about the Olmec colossal God. head? <laughs> I was like, I read that and I was like, does this gonna have some sort of feeling about this? Like, uh, here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing. Um, in the second issue. Let me, let me start by saying what my first problem with the second issue is, is that in the first issue, they say that safely back at the base mm-hmm. of the Tuskegee Airs, like, issue two is, like, blah, 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 the plot. Like, the little mm-hmm. summary thing that they're, at the back of issue one, it says they're safely back at base. Right. Issue two does not start safely back at base. They're on the run in Mexico. They're on the run in Mexico. It has nothing to do with whatever the summary was in, in issue one at all. Mm-hmm. I think they maybe get back to base at the mm-hmm. very, very end of mm-hmm. issue two, which is not at all how it was set up. Yeah. That's fine. Someone wrote a bad summary. I can get past that. Mm-hmm. Um, being on the run in Mexico, fine. Again, very, like, very information dense. Yes. So information dense. There's literally a moment where they go back to a fight scene in issue one and re-explain everything that happened that you didn't see. Yeah. Which and it was is... like, we didn't see it because it wasn't important in issue one. It's not important now. It's really not. It was just like, look at how badass the character is. And it feels I like it. they're confusing their mediums. You know, yes. like it, yes. in a TV episode, that sort of flashback in detail is it, fine. But, but it also it, takes like 30 seconds tops. Right. And to it do a doesn't flashback. take away from the, the pacing. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't take away from the pacing. Where the, the way they did it, I, I don't feel like. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, you know, in the future it will, but it didn't feel like it was advancing the plot in any sort of way. No. 
Um, which when you're in this sort of medium is kind of more important. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but what Margo's asking me about is I currently work, like I said, my, my focus is actually on Chinese art history. Mm -hmm. I currently work, um, on near east, uh, a near Eastern archeological project. Mm -hmm. Um, so not China, but it, it relates. It's a long story. Um, trade basically trade. Mm -hmm. Uh, I work in an archeological and anthropology, anthropology museum. Um, and so I have a lot of deep feelings about this kind of thing. And there's a moment in issue two and they're out with, uh, what like their tour guide? Yeah, their tour guide. Their chaperone. Their contact. I it's, don't know. It's kind of unclear. I'm assuming he's kind of like half contact tour guide chaperone. Yeah. Um, and they're talking about the Olmec heads, mm -hmm. which are basically giant sculptures of heads in Mexico. Yes. Okay. Again, I'm Mexican. That's where this is also coming from. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I. I work with archaeologists. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily consider myself one, mm -hmm. but I, I know them and I trust them. Yeah. Um, this guy is saying, like, one of, the, one of the characters is like, well, there is a mystery behind who the Ol Olmecs truly were, dating back to 900 BC. Mm -hmm. um, that's BCE for those of us who... Anyway. Yes. Um, these dates were sculpted from huge basalt boulders. Historians still aren't sure how the Omex were able to transport these boulders that range from 6 to 50 tons from Sierra de los Tuxlas? Tuxlas? Where is it? Oh my god, it's the X. It's the X is the sh sound, yeah. right? Yeah. Tuxlas Mountains? Whatever. Um, that's right. Hey, now, I'm supposed to be your guide. Anything else I should know? Um, well, there's been wide speculation as to who actually built these spectacular monuments. Mm -hmm. Turning page. This is, this is where it's going to get me. Uh, take this guy, for instance. These features would lead you to believe he was African. Um, that's spelled with a K. The broad nose, the braided hair, the eyes, the full lips. Oh, and full lips. Of mm -hmm. course, these are so old, and the land has been altered so much, it would be difficult to prove they were African. Yes, but also hard to disprove, young fella. And that's where I stopped and was like, I respect the fact that, sorry, I just bumped into the table. I respect the fact that these people are making an important piece of diverse media. And I love the concept of this. And I love the characters of this. And I love everything about this. But that alone would make me, made me want to literally shred the comic in my bare hands and just <laughs> throw it at everything. Mm -hmm. um, because that's not true. Yeah. It is very, very very debunked that these could have been African people. And it's very racist against indigenous Mexican peoples to say that they could not have possibly made these things without the help of some other foreign society mm -hmm. who is thousands of miles away. Yeah. It's not possible. I encourage everyone to read an article. I think it might even be free access on JSTOR. I'm not entirely sure, but you can definitely Google it and find the PDF for free. It's called They Were Not Here Before Columbus. And it is a large group of Mesoamericanists saying, no, there's absolutely no proof this could have been any African, like, group, people, anything. It was not the Egyptians. It was not the West Africans. We mm -hmm. have extensive, extensive facts proving this concept, this theory, is a conspiracy, and it's bullshit, and it's wrong. And it makes me so angry, because how dare you do the same dirty thing that everyone has done to your cultures to indigenous peoples? 
I had a feeling you'd say that. <laughs> it just, yeah, it just, it's yeah. like, it's like something I can't get past where it's like, mm-hmm. it's offensive and racist and wrong to say the aliens made the pyramids. Yeah. If you can't understand why it's offensive and racist and wrong to say that, like, some other people is actually responsible for Native Americans making Native things, mm-hmm. then like, I don't know how that, to help you, boo. Like, it's not quite as bad as aliens, but I, even I knew. I was like, that's kind of a, that, no. It's bullshit (laughs) and it made me so angry that i had to like literally stop reading the comic because that is something i specialize in Mm -hmm. to to a loose extent i'm i'm well informed enough and well versed enough and this is something that i remember when i took an intro to african studies class Mm -hmm. my professor said yeah he was like these olmec things maybe they were made by you know africans and was like Maybe they were made by the people who were living in Mexico at the time. Yeah. It, it, it feels like the, because the, um, I mean, you mentioned like the pyramids and stuff where, you know, there was all this, because you're like, how could they have moved the stones? And it turns out, oh, they were just pouring water on the sand to make it firm enough to like slide yeah, things along. To, to yeah, I'm sure friction. that, that yeah. people found ways to People move found stuff. ways. Like, of course. People are fucking creative and inventive. And I think that. That's it's, important it's, to recognize across different cultures and not steal from each other. Yeah, and I, I think one of the other things that um, fundamentally bothers me, I'll mm-hmm. say it quick and then we can move on, mm-hmm. is that um, part of the problem with pointing to an Olmec head carving and saying, look, he has a wide nose and thick lips and braided hair. Um, first off, anyone can have those features. Secondly, the problem with that is that it's directly taking from racist phrenology, mm. which is this idea that, like, you can find racial markers based on facial features, mm-hmm. and you can say, like, that's what a black person's head looks like, this is what a brown person's head looks like. That's wrong. And not only is it wrong, it was invented by white supremacists <laughs> who were trying to, like, intentionally be racist yeah. and impose a hierarchy. And for, like, minorities... For people of color to take that ideology and say, okay, but now we can use it in our favor. Audre Lord had something to say about, like, not using the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. Mic drop. End of story. Moving on. I'm sorry it made me really angry. Otherwise, I would have truly, I think, enjoyed this much better. Yeah. My only complaint would have been too much text. Yeah. No, because, I mean, like I said, I really love the characters. I ended up finishing up everything. And, you know, I yeah. think there's a lot of really great plot that's going on in there. Oh, no, I, I finished it. Of, oh, okay, I, I finished did. it. Okay, I went back it. to it after I had, had a, a chance to go. <sighs> I, I yeah. had a cool down, calm down nap yeah. time like I with said, myself. It, yeah. Like, I love, like, seriously, there's such a great ensemble of the leads. Like, was Ayana is, like, the certified badass leader girl mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I, I love the ladies of course i do and then oh, yeah. you know, genesis is like the smart girl with cool analysis and but she doesn't want to be self-serving so she's going to take all these risks because yeah. um she believes in the the higher cause of what she's doing and then you have like the newbies and, and you have like the reckless guy and i don't know i i really love it and you know they're all backed by there's also the, the senator. senator the senator senator shield yes shields yeah, I'm really interested in her backstory. She was awesome. I yeah. loved her blue lipstick. I know. She's she had like great. a purple pantsuit and blue lipstick, and she was amazing. Yeah. She kind of, um, who did she remind me of? I don't know. Who works for S.H.I.E.L.D. also? 
Uh, Amanda she Waller? A, yeah, she reminded me a little bit of Amanda Waller in, I like, want, design. I was wondering if they kind of pulled that. Because her name was, like, Senator Shields or something. Yeah, it, was just, like, it feels like a, a reference. cool, like, head nod. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Um, my other, I agree. I think, yeah, in, in general, I liked it. Yeah, Senator Shields, um, I do feel like she was an Amanda Waller reference. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but. I love her anyway. I love her anyway. She was great. Um, yeah. yeah. I did kind of like the detour to Mexico, aside mm-hmm. from the fact that no, like, my problems. all of the other stuff that happened in it was great. I was just like that. I could tell from the moment I read it that that, it was, you, that I was going to be annoyed. That, yeah, I, was I like, also Ooh. feel like issue two like spent a lot of time like one of the characters tells a fake backstory and then tells yeah. a real backstory supposedly, and I wasn't even sure if that was real. Yeah, and I was just like, why are we wasting time with this much backstory? That, yeah, it, it feels character. like they're trying to cram. All, they're cramming too much. They're giving into, us all the exposition, all right? At once. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I want the plot. Um, I want to start. And I'm going to find out about these characters through immersion in your world. Exactly. Because I feel like there were a lot of things that just showed up, and you were supposed to like. They were like, okay, this is what this is. Yeah, and it, they're they don't have any character suspense. You no, know, they're they're only relying no. on the plot for suspense, but they. I mean, I I, I don't want to say that because entirely because I think um, Ayana has a backstory that's been hinted at, like why she's mean. Yeah. What was the the was it a colonel or the major? I don't but know the, the guy who's running the program, the flying program they're in. Yeah. Um, but they but tell it, her backstory. Oh, oh yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah. No, yeah. they tell her backstory. They're like, <laughs> she's like, oh yeah, he oh took yeah, me, he it found felt me. Like, um, very Pacific Rim referency. Yes. Yeah. And that was, I enjoyed Pacific Rim, but yeah. I feel like Pacific Rim was able to do that faster and better because it was a moving visual yeah. medium. Yeah. My, I think that's the main, we already kind of said it, but I think it bears reiterating is I, I think it's confused what medium it's operating in. Yeah. And needs to This would be a great of, movie. It would be a great movie. It's a movie idea and it's, and the way that they're writing it and building it is like a movie, but it it's not a movie. Quite, it's, it's a comic not, book. Exactly. All right. Well, I think we've said. Yeah, we, we covered everything. If okay. you like, if you like the idea of it, check it out. It, it's kind of interesting. It is, and like it's I a said, good concept. I, I'm I glad might, it got I'll, kickstarted. I think I might read more of it. Yeah, you know, I'll definitely yeah. pick it up and buy it again when, next time we go yeah. and see it there. Um, For despite sure, despite my concerns. But yeah. All right, and then finally, we also grabbed the first issue of Fence. Uh, it is 16-year-old Nicholas Cox is an outsider to the competitive fencing world. Filled with raw talent but lacking proper training skills, he signs up for a competition that puts him head-to-head with fencing prodigy Seiji Katayama. And on the road to the elite all-boys school, King's Row, uh, excuse me, a chance at a real team and a place to belong awaits him if he can make the cut. I thought this was cute. Um, so first, let's start off by the fact that, like, I found the Kevin Wada variant cover of this. Yes, that's kind of why I was like, yes, this. Um, okay, so <laughs> for those of you who are not familiar with artists or uh, writers by their names, Kevin Wada is, um, I don't know if he, I don't think he's ever done, like, an actual full comic himself, no, but he does, he does illustrations. illustrations. He does um, illustrations, I feel like. A watercolor. lot of them are a combination of watercolor and digital. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a gay Asian man, okay. as far as I know. I, I mean, know. he is Asian. Okay. I'm pretty sure he's gay. I don't think he's bisexual. I think he's gay, and I love him, mm-hmm. and he's my hero. And I love his art. I love his art. His art is so beautiful and so wonderful, 
and he's done uh, that one print of Oscar Isaac in like space undies, and it's <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah, shiny. Kevin Wada, like okay. you go, Kevin Wada. I just yeah. love him; he's so good. Yeah, he's great. Support Kevin Wada, honestly. It's I remember, true. Actually, I found out that um, so there's a there's a comic series called Saga, which is very popular, um, put out by Image Comics, and I found out through Kevin Wada that um, the main male character of saga is actually asian yeah well i didn't i didn't i knew he was like of like i knew he wasn't white yeah but i didn't know that like the author had stated specifically he's intended to be asian because i just had never seen that interview and i saw Uh, kevin wada like had drawn an illustration of him and it's like this is why i love this character he's asian like me oh i mean i'm yeah paraphrasing significantly but um i was very pumped and that was good anyway we found the kevin wada cover variant yeah um because it's beautiful and fantastic and Mm -hmm. they're fencing and fighting each other Mm -hmm. i love it now you can continue sorry (laughs) this is put out by boombox and is written by oh we forgot to talk about who wrote what but oh well uh i'll put it in the in the notes um this one you might recognize some of the names um c.s picot johanna the mad and joanna la fuente Mm-hmm. Um, I know the latter two, I've seen their names before. Yeah, because I've seen their art around. Uh, yeah, on, like, Tumblr, you might recognize them. Yeah. Um, Boombox tends to put out a lot of, like... LGBT-friendly I, I wanted content. to say wholesome gays. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a lot of... Actually, the only thing... Never mind. Um, yeah, um, they put out a lot of LGBT content out, and they're super cute, and this is clearly of that strain yeah it's it's um, got all the kind of the tropey goodness like i don't know it felt like i was watching the opening episode to an anime is i think one yeah, of the things it, i felt like because it kind of hits all the same beats like it starts out with like a competition and you've got the the very relatable main character and this like aloof quiet like high performing other guy who's better than everyone and will kick your ass yeah so yeah. this is basically um this is the comic that succeeded at writing in the right medium, but feeling as if it was another medium. Yes. Um, because this comic understands that it's basically... A sports anime, but it's trying to be adapted. It's, yes, it's a fencing version of Yuri on Ice. Yeah. Um, but it's its own plot. Oh. Bye, cats. The cats <laughs> went zoom, zoom. Um, anyway, it's a... It's, yeah, it's it's fun. It's in the genre of Yuri on Ice, which I'm grateful for that like now that Yuri on Ice has come out, we're allowed to actually finally have the gay part of the sports anime. Because yeah. there's always been like a lot of subtexty. Like, subtexty sexual tension in lots of sports animes, but never mm-hmm. actual canon gay. Yeah. Um and now with Yuri on Ice we're starting to get mm-hmm. that. And this is definitely an homage to mm-hmm. the excitement of that. It's as so was, true. And and yeah. I think it's so interesting because you, you definitely got the like difference in personalities and you got like the difference in class. Like because Nick Nicholas Cox, the the main character, is a scholarship student and like they make he's fun poor. of him. Yeah, they make fun of him because of his shoes when he's fencing. Um but he's there's a he's, flashback of him like as a literal baby just holding up a couple of like coins trying to get fencing gear yeah trying to get fencing gear and it, you just you just want to love him he clearly has been working his ass off to get to where he is and he's been like the janitor for this fencing um studio, studio. Mm-hmm. studio is the right word for it right i think gym, so training gym training area place yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, he gets his ass soundly kicked. There's definitely some manga-esque, like, chibi art. Yeah. Um, like, right here where he gets really angry and there's, like, little steam coming out of his ears. And, yeah. Um, it's super cute. It was fun. I'd pick and, up issue two. Yeah, and I just think it's fun, like, because it, it just hits all the right tropes, you know? Like, the twist at the end just delights me. Yeah, maybe we won't tell you the twist at the end because we want you to go buy this. Right, because it, it's, it's so cute, and I'm definitely going to be reading more of this it, one. It would be, like... Honestly, this would have been my catnip, like, mm, a couple years ago. So I'm going to say I'll probably still enjoy it. Yeah. I'm not sure I would necessarily, like, enjoy it as much as I would have, like, in high school. Right. But I severely enjoy this. Yeah. I'm definitely... It it hits the right buttons. And I think it's just something that I'm looking forward to having is brain candy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Definitely pick it up. Um, If you want a lady sport... Are you going to say motor crush? Uh, no, I was actually oh. going to say Slam, which is also okay. put out by Boombox. It's about roller go. derby. Yeah. I'm not actually sure if that got gay. I don't know. Um, I'm not positive, but it's roller derby, so I feel like probably? Yeah. Maybe probably. not. Um, anyway, but speaking of gay, a new motor crush came out this week, so we'll oh, have to read that. We will have to read that. And tell you about it next time. We are done with our comics portion, mm-hmm. but I thought before we close out, maybe we could briefly discuss the runaways mm. in a sort of non-spoilery way i like it it's on hulu and it's fun i had no exposure to the comics before yeah me neither me neither so i kind of just picked it up because des decided to pick it up it's like watch this and yeah i'm having I mean, fun so far i like i like ensemble cast have i told you that i'm like two degrees away from the girl who plays gert yorks yes you have okay so because i i um I have a friend named Rhiannon McGavin, and she has a poem um, called First Base Gold, which you can look up on YouTube, and the girl who plays Gert Yorks is actually the girl who's doing the music and, like, video. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Gert for, or Molly that you said it was? It's it's the girl it's who Gert? plays Gert. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a girl who... Girl, ugh, it's the girl who plays Gert, um, and she actually did the music for my friend Rhiannon's um, First Base first base Gold poem video so multi-talented multi-talented um awesome. it's really great she's playing bass it's really cool. awesome bass is a good instrument it is um it's got a pretty sweet beat and uh i'm not actually responsible for any of that poem but i did get to talk to rhiannon as she was like pre-writing stage i know mm-hmm. she was she she was talking to me about writing about art history because the poems um in part about Klimt's the kiss and about a uh a photo taken by someone in one of the ghettos during World War II of, like, basically two teenagers making out, like, in front of bushes. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's, it's a very interesting poem. Definitely check it out. But I, I, uh, I was talking with Rhiannon as she was writing, like, a scholarship essay that mm-hmm. was based on those two images as well. Okay. Um, about art history stuff, because that's my jam. But, uh, really? You yeah. like art? Oh, no. Oh my god, um, this is brand new information. Yeah, uh, The Runaways, I have never read the comics either. Mm-hmm. Don't know I, anything about it. No. Um, heard it's like very it. good. Yeah, have a lot of friends think- who love it. I'm sure I'll, I, I'm like afraid to read it now that the like show is coming out, because I'm like, oh, this show is so 
fun. Interesting. Yeah. And you I don't, don't know what's going on. I don't want to spoil myself. Yeah. Like, I think um, it's one of the things where I'll probably wait till the season's over so I can kind of go in without the sort of yeah, yeah. Um, expectation that it's going to go one way or, the, or another. Because I, I feel like they're, from what I understand, from what I've seen of people who have read the comic and are watching, that it is go- tackling things in a slightly different direction. Oh, yeah. I know I know from word of mouth that they're definitely focusing more on the parents in, in the in the TV show than they did in the comic, um, which I think is great because I, I, I think what's going on with the parents is fascinating. Yeah, um, I, I think um, this is one of those things where they had to adapt to mm-hmm. a visual medium, um, a different visual medium, sorry. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I did skim the beginning of that first Runaways comic mm-hmm. um, that they're kind of adapting from, and I think what I learned is that... The, they were kind of not going in as into as much detail as like individualizing the parents, right? In a lot of ways, it was more and of I the think scenario that they had set up for the kids to react to, yeah. And I, I think it's important to like have some sort of humanization for the parents mm-hmm. in a TV show, right? Because you, you need have to have extra space to do that. You have the extra space to do it, and you need to feel some kind of emotion about them. Otherwise, you will not engage with what the kids are reacting to. Yeah. Um. So I, I think I really like it so far. It's so good. It's really fun. It does do the thing that we talked about in Tuskegee Airs, mm-hmm. which is that the first episode shows us sort of like a linear amount of stuff, and then the it second episode back. flashes back and shows it in different perspectives. Yeah, to add different contexts and different layers and makes you understand both sides of the story, yeah. but in a way that moves forward and advances the plot yeah and the thing is is that um from what i skimmed in the comic it didn't do that in the comic okay and i think that's how we can recognize that technique worked in one place but didn't in another is because it works in my mind fantastically in the runaways yeah i like i said i've only skimmed like the very beginning couple of pages Mm -hmm. which is essentially what is episodes one and two right Um, I think I was, when I was picking up comics last week, I skimmed the current arc a little bit and I was like, oh, like this is definitely much further down the road than uh, obviously. But, um, no, I think that I'm very interested in what's going and I'm going to continue to watch it. Who's your favorite character? Go. Oh, shit. Um, (laughs) I'm really fond of Molly. Oh, I love Molly Hernandez. I, I, I'm really fond of her There's right a now. moment, um, this is the only thing I'll, I'll directly spoil for, there's a moment where um, the guy who, I don't remember his name, mm-hmm. Chase? Is it Chase? I think so. The guy who I'm just giving him the, a random white boy name, I no, genuinely like, don't know. the guy from, that was in... Um, that was in Faking It. Faking It, yes, that's yes. Chase. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Was he in Faking It? Do you remember? I want to say, was it, no, it's not Liam. Yeah, it was Liam. It was? Okay, it was Liam. I don't know. Okay, I so the guy who played Liam in Faking It on MTV um, is now Chase, yeah. we think. Some kind of white boy name. Who knows? Um, and there's a moment where he's, like, tearing into every, like, all the other kids. He's just like, you did this, and you screwed up this, and you... And, and he, like, points to Molly Hernandez, and he's like, and even Molly. And then he's just like, wait, just kidding. You didn't actually do anything wrong. Uh-huh. I like, like you. We You're like a good you, person. Molly. Yeah, she she's the youngest, and I, and I think she's a baby. And then, um, she's oh, so sweet. oh, oh, God, what's her name? The one with the dead sister. Oh my God, why the, are you putting me on the? Um, I like her too. She's goth and pretty. Crap, what's her name? I don't know. We're terrible people. I know. We really should have looked this up before. 
goth girl. Nico. 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 Her, name, her name is Nico. You got it. We got it. We yeah. got there. Those, those are my two favorites. God. What you about know, you? Um, crap. I think I just like all the girls. Yeah. That's a cop out, though. Um, I liked favorite girl. Gert would say that that's not feminist. That's okay. You like all of them. So I do like all of them. Of um, I love them all for different reasons. I love Nico for being who Nico is. Mm-hmm. Um, I love sparkly gay alien girl. I don't remember her name either. Yeah, I'm straight up lost on her. Oops. I like her too, though. Um, I love Gert. Just as being Gert. Um, and then I love Molly because Molly's a sweet baby who's done mm-hmm. nothing wrong ever in her life. That's fair. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, some good times, good, good watch. Uh, episodes one through four are out. We might do a spoilery episode of The Runaways just so we can yes. talk about it more in depth because I think that'll be super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, that has been our comics catch up because yes. I know we were reading some stuff that came out before Thanksgiving happened and we just mm-hmm. did not have the chance to record. Yes. But hopefully from here on out, we're going to get ourselves on a more regular schedule. Uh, despite the fact that you're traveling overseas later this month. Um, um, and that my life is falling apart. That's cool. Um, yeah. But you know what? We'll somehow figure we'll it out. We'll work it out. Yeah. Uh, we'll post probably what our next comic novel selection is going to be. Our graphic novel selection, mm-hmm. trade paperbacks. Yeah. We've got some interesting stuff that we've already bought that we just want to read and finally talk about. And then... Uh, I think the goal is that by January, hopefully mid-January, we'll be on a consistent schedule. Yeah. This is kind of our working it out period, especially given it's the holidays and we have just have a lot of real life stuff going on. But yeah. by mid-January, we should be on track and be on a really set schedule. And that'll be awesome. It anyway, will. this has been Very Cover Comics. It's our superhero or supervillain origin story. Yeah, this has been my supervillain origin story. Don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm the superhero in this party. And goodbye. That, that's a wrap.